number 12. The Bible says in Romans 6, verse number 12, let not sin therefore reign. And so we have now verse 12 is bringing to fruition, if you will, the results of all the previous verses that we read in Romans chapter 6. And we have two different dominions, the dominion of sin that can reign. And we know that Satan is the authority of that domain. And then we have the dominion of grace that reigns. And we know that Jesus Christ is the authority of that domain. Let not sin therefore reign. The problem today isn't Christians understanding grace. The problem today is Christian conduct as they're under grace. We say we understand the doctrine that we're saved by grace. But a lot of our lives we live, we're not serving the authority of the domain of grace. We need to be careful of that because just bringing that thought into our minds is just a complete contradiction. We can't, as Christians, take a superficial attitude towards sin. We cannot live our lives taking sin lightly. Before salvation, we didn't have any problem with ourselves. It's me, and I'm going to do what I want, and I'm just going to live any... We didn't have a problem. We were fine with sin and living the way that we wanted to live. Now, after salvation, now we all have a problem with ourselves because our soul is saved, yet we are enveloped with this body of flesh. And so now, here comes this problem... With sin, that yes, it's already been dealt with on the cross, but no, it's still something I'm going to struggle with here on this life. We've received a new life in Christ, we know that. And when the Holy Spirit was introduced into our hearts, something new was introduced that created a new man. And that new man is in direct contrast to our former life. Now there's this conflict between good and evil, where before there wasn't so much. <laughs> there's this conflict between the flesh and the spirit, where before we were saved, we didn't have that. We have a choice to serve self or to serve Christ. But you've got a choice. What's interesting to me about Calvinistic or Reformed doctrine is that, you know, they say that you don't have a choice. You can't choose Christ before you're saved. That Christ saves you and then you realize you're saved and then you. Now, I'm not saying they're not saved. I believe they understand salvation by grace. They do. And they're really trying the best they can to give God all the glory and uh, make sure God is uh, not robbed of any of his majesty. That's certainly appreciated and no problem with that at all. We all can glean some truth from that but if that were the case wouldn't you think that after you got saved that god would just do all the choosing for you and you would just be effectually caused to just live righteously all the time i mean if he's going to do it before you got saved then you've got no control over it why wouldn't he do it after you got saved in other words you just have people that just wouldn't sin except the problem is we do have a choice and Christians who are saved do sin. Right. We can't get away from it. If you don't do as worse as sins as another Christian, that doesn't mean that other Christian isn't saved. We have the same salvation. 
right? But we don't all have the same Christian walk. We grow at different paces. We get convicted about different things at different times. And you've got to admit, there are some seasons during the year where you feel convicted. I want to change this. There's other seasons where you're like, you know what? I think I'm fine. I don't even know why he's preaching on that. We all do that. Don't, don't, don't we? We all do. Why? Because we are all Christians that are trying to grow in grace. And God, his Holy Spirit, will work upon your heart and my heart as we yield to that. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. But the tyrannical reign of sin, it, it's very, very gradual. We understand this from looking at a criminal down here on earth. If only they would have counted the costs of just how tight the chain of sin would lock them in the first time they stole something. You look out at all the sin that has caused people to be homeless and drug addicted. It's not like they smoked one cigarette and then all of a sudden they're living out behind Walmart. It doesn't happen that way. It's a gradual thing and it just gets tighter and tighter and tighter. The next thing you know, you can't get out. And we say, don't we say this? We just hate oppression. We hate tyrants. We don't want tyrannical government. We don't want the government telling us what to do. We, we see that politically and economically here in our country. Yet we allow the greatest tyrant of all to rule our to rule our hearts. Sin. And if we're against tyrannical government, we should be against the tyrannical governing of sin in our members. Amen. Let's be consistent in our argumentation. We are Christians. We should not be ruled and governed. By sin at all. It's dishonorable to God. It's a dishonorable reign. And it's a destructive reign. Because the bottom line is. We are going to be governed by something. Or someone. We can't get away from that. And I'm telling you this morning. We have to stop thinking. That the best we have as a Christian life. Is that we're just going to constantly be battling sin. Sin is there. It's all around us. It's in our fleshly members. But I'm telling you, we have to stop thinking that way because we've won the victory in Christ Jesus. And he has authored for us to live a victorious Christian life by yielding our members as servants of righteousness. Romans 6 verse 12, it says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body because our flesh is mortal. And our physical bodies will die. As Christians, we are waiting for the redemption of our body. But we're not getting it down here on earth. We're in this mortal body. And while we're in this mortal body, the flesh will always lean towards sinning. If permitted. Because the flesh is weak. 
And Romans 6 serves to give us by way of reminder that the flesh is decaying. The flesh is, is, is always bent toward temptation and giving into that temptation. We need to be careful of that. Go to 1 Corinthians 6, if you would. We'll see how, saint, uh, how sin reigns in our mortal body. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, verse number 12. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12. The Bible says, all things are lawful unto me. But all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me. But I will not be brought under the power of any. Now, isn't it interesting? The next verse, number 13, talks about food. Meats for the belly and belly for the meats. But God shall destroy both it and them. Do you know how many people are controlled by food? We have an overweight epidemic in America. Did anybody ever see the documentary Supersized or Oversized? It came back a while back about the guy that ingested, like, I don't know, I think it was an ungodly amount of calories per day. Almost gave himself a a heart attack. Why? Because he ingested so much junk that it destroyed his physical body. Isn't that a great picture? Number one, is anything sinful with food? No, it's lawful. But if we are not careful, we will be brought under the power thereof. Well, I don't feel good. I'll just eat. Someone told me off and got into an argument. And my boss fired me. So I'm just going to go home and eat. And then 200 pounds later, <laughs> right? Because we have, been, we have allowed food to control us. But it's lawful. And this is how sin works. We can take something that's lawful, allow it into ourselves, and then the next thing you know, we are brought under the power of it. People are addicted to entertainment. I mean, I like to laugh. Do you like to laugh? But what's the difference? Are you brought under the power of it? I enjoy food. We're going to enjoy a fellowship after church. We should. My wife made the eggs. She doesn't, you can't call them deviled eggs if you're a Christian. So they're, they're the non-deviled eggs. <laughs> well, okay, eat two or three, but don't hide a dozen of them. What do we call that? You can't control yourself. Now, in our house, you can't buy a, you know, a, you can't buy half a dozen donuts because everybody's going to, because there's four. And then, you know, you got six and half a dozen. And so, you're going to be fighting for that half. Is that half bigger than the other half on the last two? We're, we, we, we're not careful. We get brought under the power of donuts. Amen. <laughs> Lawful stuff. God's asking us to be careful. It's lust and desires that aren't evil, guys. We've got to be careful. In that. All of our sins are paid for and they're all accounted for on the cross. 
So that is not the issue in Romans 6. We're to the point now where, okay, we've established justification by faith. We're saved. Problem is, us as men and women in a mortal body of flesh, that's the problem. Now look at verse number 6, because it says in Romans 6, go back there. Watch the contrast in what, it, what the body is called. Look at verse number 6. Now this is before we were saved. Watch what it says. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. The old man isn't the new man. Obviously, the old man is before we were saved. Watch what the old man is called in verse number 6. That the body of sin. That's what it's called in verse 6. Our old man is called the body of sin. By the time we get to verse number 12, it's called your body. Now, it's mortal, but it's your mortal body. And you know what God's telling us in Romans 6? We all better rein in the reigning of sin. <laughs> rein it in. Get some control over it. You know why? Because you and I owe sin nothing. You owe it nothing. We need to stop playing into it. Look at verse number 13 in Romans 6. And while we're at it, let's get James 3. We can turn there real quick. James chapter 3. Romans 6 and James 3. Look at verse 13 in Romans 6. Bible says, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. But yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Now that's pretty good. He's making a shift here, Paul, under Holy Spirit's inspiration from the negative. To the positive. And he's talking about. Where. And how to yield your members. Now look at. Look at James 3. Verse number one. It says my brethren. So we know the context. This is people that. Are. Are, are, are alive unto God. They're Christians. That's James 3, verse 1. Go down to verse number 5. Watch what it says. Even so the tongue is a little member. <laughs> There's a member that's an instrument that can be used for what? Righteousness or unrighteousness. And that little, little member, and boasteth great things, behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. You can... Men, we can burn our whole house down with our tongue. Ladies, you can burn your whole house down with your tongue. Look at verse 6. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. How many of you men do a wood stove or have a fireplace, something like that? You contain that fire in the wood stove. House is beautifully warmed. It gets out of there. One little ember gets on your carpet and that ember goes. 
you can take the whole house down. One little ember. God is saying our tongue is just as dangerous as a little member. And it can be used as an instrument to destroy. But we're saying, get it under control. But if you hand your tongue over to sin, you just watch what happens. Look at verse 8. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. You hand it over to sin, it will become a deadly little member. Let us all be careful of what we say, especially verse number one, to our brethren. There's plenty of parents here. Have you ever regretted saying that phrase or that saying to your child? I have. It's an awful thing for a father to say, quit being stupid. When they're being stupid. But I'm guilty as much as. Others are guilty. How many of wives have. Just waited. For their husbands to come home. And gave them the awfulest tongue lashing they ever heard. Over something petty. How many husbands. Husbands have come home. And thought they saw something. That they really didn't see. And thought the situation was really what it wasn't. And they gave their wife the awfulest tongue lashing that she's ever had. It's awful. One little thing sets us off and our tongue can just, man, just let people have it. We got to be careful of those things. So God tells us in Romans 6 verse 13, we have members. We are going to yield them either as instruments to use as unrighteousness for sin or as instruments of righteousness unto God. How do you yield yourself? Well, what does it say? It says yield yourself unto God. How do I do that? You've got to believe the fact first that God says you are alive unto him. Do you believe that? If you do, refuse to allow sin to reign. There's some military men here. If the army sergeant Gave his soldiers a command to show up at 0600 the next morning. Guess what those soldiers are doing? They are believing what that sergeant said. And without knowing what is going to be done, they are showing up on time, dressed, ready to go, and ready to say, yes, Sarge. What did they have to do first? Believe what the sergeant said. As Christians, do we believe what our sergeant says? Believe it and just show up. Report for, for duty. Report with your members and your instruments to be used. But you've got to just believe first and show up. It's not make yourself a soldier by showing up. It's I am a soldier, so I'm showing up. It's not make yourself alive unto God. No, we are alive unto God. Now show up. That's the idea in Romans chapter number six. Look at verse 14. The Bible says, for sin shall not have dominion over you. For you're not under the law, but under grace. 
It's a short verse here consider, uh, compared to verse 13. But look at the beginning. Because, well, you've got two fours. The first four is in the beginning of, of the verse. It says, for sin shall not have dominion over you. That first four is talking about bringing forth the end of sin. There's another four in there that's contrasted. For ye are not under the law, but under grace. That second four gives us a sigh of relief that we are not under the law. <laughs> We're under grace. What a great sigh of relief that is. You know what the law does? The law demanded obedience. When someone obeyed, the blessing followed. You had tables. You had, you had a law that was given that was written on a table of stone. It was an external thing. You know what grace is? The blessing is given first. And then obedience follows. It's not an external law that you obey and that you get blessed. It's an internal indwelt Holy Spirit that resides in you. That by grace gave you and I the blessing first. And now because of that, we report for duty and we're ready to obey. We've got to get that right or just mess up law and grace. Go to Galatians 4. This is such a great cross-reference that I just can't leave it out. Galatians 4. we got to read it together. Galatians 4. Look at verse. Look at verse 4. Galatians 4. Verse number 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that they might receive the adoption of sons. And because you're sons, God sent forth the spirit of his son, where? Into your hearts. It's an internal thing. It's not an external law written on stones. And it's crying, Abba, Father, praise God. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Folks, it does not get any better than that. Many Christians think obedience can only come. Obedience is only possible by the law. So they ask questions or they think thoughts like this. How in the world are you going to control someone if you just give them liberty? How in the world are you going to control a group if you don't have laws over them? That's a tough question, isn't it? Because when you go to work, you have rules and laws. Try, the ball says you got to show up at nine. Try showing up at 9.45. What happens? Fire. Try playing a sport. 
you know, we have all these rules that people have to follow when they come to the tournament. You know, one of them is you can't poke somebody in the eye. Come and try to poke somebody in the eye. You know what's going to happen? Disqualified. You lose. You can't do that. There's laws and rules you have to follow if you want to participate. It's natural for the heart of man to say, well, you just can't leave man without any laws. So we know we're saved by grace. We know we're not under the law anymore, but then we get saved and we're going to put all these laws on people thinking that they're going to obey because we put the governing law over them. And you know what happens? Let me use this. Let me use this example. Imagine this. Husbands. If you're a husband. You're going to put all of these laws around the house. And you're going to put all these demands on your wife. So every time she walks into another section of the house, she's going to see one of her husband's demands written up as a law. And the caveat is going to be. The husband will allow the relationship to continue as far as and as long as the wife obeys his laws. She walks into the living room. She sees the law. She obeys the law. And the husband says, well, that's great, honey. Now you can receive a blessing. How long do you think you're going to be living in that house? <laughs> that's going to be. Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord splits you. That's what that's going to be. Why? Because that's not going to fly. Because that's law and not law. And the Christian walk is about loving God. Wouldn't it be great if the wife was just excited to ask her husband, what would you like for dinner, honey? Wouldn't it be great if the husband was so excited and he asked, what else can I do to make you comfortable? I'll do whatever it takes. I want to do anything I can do to make you comfortable. What if husbands asked that? It's not a self-desire. It's not a personal desire. Go to Ephesians 5, because this is where we need to be when we look at these things. We can't legislate righteousness. Both the husband and the wife should receive personal delight from trying to please the other instead of pleasing themselves. Look at Ephesians 5, look at verse number 22. Bible says, wives, submit unto your husband, your own husbands. There's a lot there. Your own husband. Don't be listening to anybody else. Your own husband. Not somebody else's husband. But watch how it finishes. As unto the Lord. Why does it say as unto the Lord? Because the wife can get a hold of this verse. If she's living her Christian life. Out of love under the Lord. In, in other words, she's doing what she's doing because she's just enthralled that the Lord would save such a wretched sinner as her. And so she is living her life as under the Lord with that view. 
Because when a lady, a Christian lady lives under the Lord, it's not, oh, Lord, I'm going to obey and I just can't wait for the blessing. No, it's, Lord, I've been so blessed. So now out of love, I just want to serve you. It's under you, Lord. You see the switch? That's why it says, as unto the Lord. Because just like the Lord saved her as a wretched sinner who is undeserving of his grace, she now gets to demonstrate that same love to her wretched husband <laughs> who won't keep, he just won't put his boots where they should go. And he won't, and he won't, and he won't. What, what is that? That is her loving her husband as Christ loved her. Much better than a bunch of signs around the house that says, honey, if you put your boots in the bin that I told you to, you'll get a hot meal. You see, you obey my law and now you get the blessing of a hot meal. Well, what do we do with the kids? You give the kids rules. You give the kids rules. You know why? Because you need to teach them. That rules are for their protection. And you need to train them in the aspect of this is a good thing. What do you mean by that? Well, the idea of parenting isn't to get your child to follow all the laws and the rules. Because when you and I are gone as parents... They're going to do what every kid does when they grow up to be an adult. And you know what that is? What they want to do. <laughs> They're going to do what they want to do. So you know what you got to teach them? Not just laws to obey. You need to teach them. There's someone greater who's so much better to serve. I would rather my kids not follow any of my laws, but still love me than follow all my laws and hate my guts. How about you? You want a husband that follows all your rules, ladies? Or do you want a husband that loves you and vice versa? You know what God wants? Our hearts to love him. He wants our children's hearts to love us. Not demand external obedience when their heart is exploding inside. You know why we have rules out in the road? Safety. You know why parents give their kids rules? Safety. This is going to hurt you. You don't know it's going to hurt you. So I'm going to save you from hurting yourself. And then when you're old enough, you want to go out and hurt yourself. Go ahead and help yourself. But at least I told you that's going to bring about pain. That's, the, that's one of the ideas. Is it law or is it love? Now watch what it says in verse 25. It says, husbands, love your wives. Same idea. You got a wife, you love her. You don't love anybody else's wife, her. It's a foreign thing. Because if you're not 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 years old, you are brought up in a generation that just says, you just can love and define it however you want, love wherever you want. It doesn't matter if it changes from week to week. You love your wife. 
even, and here's the same thing we talk about, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Husbands, are we thrilled, enthralled with delight to serve our wife as Christ loved the church? Ladies, are you just over the moon that you get to serve your husband as you would serve the Lord? That's the idea of love. That's the idea of yielding our members as instruments of righteousness unto God. The law's been settled. We're not on trial for sin anymore at this point in Romans 6. We already know that the law shows we can't be obedient and we're rebels. We already know that the law will excite sin. It will cause us to indulge in sin because no man has ever kept it and therefore sin. If Paul were to say we were justified by works, it would be next to impossible to abandon any sins. Because it's proven over and over and over again that the more law that is given, the more we prove ourselves to be disobedient and rebels against it. In other words, sinners. So how are you going to take a Christian, put all these laws and rules on them, and tell them that's going to be the solution? The solution is love, not law. It's the love of God shed abroad in your hearts. And I'm telling you, we are not Israel with the Israelites at Mount Sinai with God given his holy law. That's not us. We are not disciples walking around with Jesus Christ during his earthly ministry. When he said, take up thy cross and follow me. You know what they did? They failed and then they fled. That's what they did. (laughs) That is not us. We are on the other side of the cross. Where we have a risen Savior. The cross answered all of that. Why? Because every time a man is tested, he's failed. The cross. The risen Savior. That's what stops him. You and I as born again Christians, you know what we share? A life risen a new life with a risen savior that is our life it is hid with christ in god we have a new law written in our hearts the law of love it's the law of christ giving and loving and sacrificing we've got something so much better to be controlled by grace grace and if you think about it the demands of grace or grace it's so much more far-reaching we get to joyfully show up and say here i am lord i'm ready to yield my members as, as instruments of righteousness under your service here i am lord it's and it's a personal delight to do so you know what we are as christians we are no longer living To try to self-satisfy. We are living as a witness for God. And everything we do is for his pleasure. And for his glory. And for his honor. 
We just got to take God's advice. He knows what's best for us. You know, John's a vet. You take your dog over to him and he says, look, here's what we're going to have to do to save your dog and to give him a good life. And the person says, I'm not listening to you. You're just so mean vet. Oh, okay. Well, then go do what you want. <laughs> They're going to go do what they want. The dog's going to die. You know what God says? Here's what you got to do to live a victorious Christian life. You know what we say to God? I'm not going to do that. You're just a mean God. Okay, then go live your life how you want, and you're going to suffer the consequences. The vet is there to help you, not hurt you. God is here to help us and guide us and lead us and direct us, not hurt us. He knows what's best for us. And just like that drill sergeant says, hey, you, you know what they do? They believe and they show up, they report for duty, and they're ready to serve. We got to report for duty. We need to be ready to serve God. I'll leave you with this story. Go to Colossians 1. We'll finish, we'll finish there. I'll tell you a story, an analogy. And we'll finish in Colossians 1. It's a good verse. That we'll finish on. But you imagine for a minute, you take yourself back. This would never happen, but it's fun to think about. Imagine if God took you to heaven. You've been in heaven for 50 years. I mean, I know it's eternity, but you can't measure it. But you're there 50 years in what would be considered time here on earth. And then God says, you know what? I'm going to send you back down to earth for 50 years. I want you to witness for me. I want you to live for me. And I want you to make my name known. Now, this, of course, would never happen, but it came into my mind as something fun to think about. And so you come back down. God sends you back down. And you've got 50 years now on this earth. Now, of course, you've got to put out of your mind how blessed heaven is. Now you've got to come back down to this wretched place. But would you not live every moment of your life for God? Never doubting at all that you've got an eternal home in heaven. We wouldn't. And I'm telling you, that's how we have to think. If we don't believe that we have that eternal home in heaven reserved for us, prepared for us, it's there. That's where we belong. We are pilgrims and strangers on this earth. This is foreign land. It's not where we belong. We have a home in heaven. You got to tell, you can't tell me that if you believe that wholeheartedly, that you wouldn't live differently out of love for your Savior. Right? You got to start with believing you've got a place prepared for you. We've got to start living with the thought that this is temporal. And with the joy of just yielding our members, just showing up. Use me as an instrument for you, Lord. As if you've tasted heaven already. Because we are people of heavenly places. Colossians 1, and we're done. Look at verse 5. 
for the hope which is laid up for you where? In heaven. You got it. It's there. Whereof you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel. That's what we preach. Which is come unto you as it is in all the world. And bringeth forth what? Fruit. We are told to live with the hope that we have in heaven. Because it's there. We are told to preach the gospel. We are told to bring forth fruit. As it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it. And knew, guess what? The grace of God in truth. You don't need long. You need grace to live for him. You don't need law. You need love to live for him. Wives, you don't need laws from your husband. You need to love him. Husbands, you don't need laws from your wife. You need to love her. Putting aside your own personal desires and just desiring to please the other person in a marriage relationship is the same we should have with a Christ relationship. Do you just desire to want to serve and please him? 